Welcome back. We're on episode 55 of Spinal Tap Minute, the podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and Stonehenge wrong size the movie This is Spinal Tap, one magnificent minute at a time. I'm Heidi Bennett of HeidiBennett.com. And I'm Sean German from 5MinutesOfMime.com. And our special guest returning again today for this fabulous Friday you know him from such things as Super Ego and others, Mark McConville. Welcome back, Mark. Hey, thanks. <laughs> that, thanks. Sounded, that sounded very sanctimonious. Yes, it did. I apologize. That's not what I meant to do. <laughs> no, no, fine. No, sanctimony away. We deserve it. Absolutely. It's, uh, it's, it's a pleasure. Honor. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> All right. And you are here. For Minute 55. And Minute 55 of the movie This is Spinal Tap begins with Ian complimenting our stage artist on the realism of the Stonehenge model. We end with Nigel's spoken word introduction to uh, the Spinal Tap song Stonehenge. And in between we find out uh, this model is not a model. This is it. This is the piece. And we're getting into... uh, some in easy territory. I'll, I'll, I'll be frank with our audience that uh, I've been, you probably picked up, I've been a bit of an Ian defender uh, previously in the movie with some of the things he said. And this is sort of really the beginning of the end. <laughs> <laughs> things are going wrong. That, you know, Ian's supposed to be running things. He's the manager. And he should know. He that should. Y- you can't leave it up to Nigel. You can't just take the napkin from Nigel and turn that over. There needs to be some review. There needs to be some in- intermediary to, uh, you know, check things like units on on a napkin <laughs> drawing. It does, though, seem fairly plausible. If you, if like, have, do you guys know about the Steve Harvey memo that went around? Um, no, I don't know. So, I do not. comedian and talk show host Steve Harvey put a memo out to his staff on his talk show that he is not to be talked to in the hall. He hates being ambushed. Um, If you want to ask him about something, you have to make an appointment. And, you know, I've been lucky enough to work on some things that would have this similar environment. And it's like the stars of things, they get asked for all kinds of stuff all the time. And I think he just had had it and was like, from now on, no one knocks on my door. <laughs> it's insane. <laughs> like it, it's probably still out on the internet and you can read it. It seems crazy, but I could see if day after day after day, people are just inundating you with, you know, Hey Steve, can my cousin meet you after the show or what all the stuff that comes with being a, a Steve Harvey type, but he seems like a monster. So I could see if Nigel was like, no, you make this like he, if he is the sort of fiery leader of the band, and he's he gives him this napkin and it's like don't ask any questions just make it like it does seem a little plausible that he'd be like okay i get i mean he did say make this thing and he drew it up and i'm i'm just here doing what he wants me to do like i could see i mean it's semi plausible i guess is what i'm trying to say cuz if your boss is somewhat of a monster i feel like you you might be like i'm just i just want to get through the day i don't want to i don't want to confront him about this and that's probably how this Stonehenge mistake came to came to be. That's it's possible. And and one other thing I thought of is this may be the result of some really wishful optimistic thinking 
because when the Stonehenge concept is introduced, uh, we first see it's uh, David and Janine showing the band sketches of oh. of having them dress up as zodiac symbols, or right, um, you know, uh, David is a Leo and and Viv is Libra and everything. And, and one of the remarks Ian makes is uh, is about the cost of of dressing up the band as animals. So I'm wondering if a they probably got an estimate or just some word of of how much it's going to cost to create the Stonehenge prop or scenery for uh, you know for this song and they get this number and it's fantastically low and they they're probably thinking well this is great this is in budget this is not going to cost as much as as dressing up the band as animals and they you know rather than thinking rather than wondering well why is this so low you know are they are they really doing this to the correct scale they probably just wanted to believe ian wanted to believe that they could create an 18 foot high stonehenge scene piece for the amount that was quoted and it turns out um they didn't that the the (laughs) amount that it cost you know the reason that the budget looked like 18 inch scenery is because that's what they were getting 18 inch scenery well you also have two i mean if you've ever traveled with a a band you (laughs) the sort of space in the truck or whatever vehicle you're using to tour around is at a premium so i'm sure he was also maybe like well good we don't have to get a truck just for this giant foam rubber stone hinge we could we could just throw this in with the bass amps and you know, that well, there's plenty of room. I'm sure he was like, good, we don't have to get another truck. <laughs> Very budget conscious, this this Ian. There's logistics for Ian to worry about. I'm I end up being a logistics guy with a no. lot of the things that I do. So I can appreciate him going like, oh, easy peasy. That I, I'll hold that in the front seat while we drive to the next town. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's probably, you know, might even be helpful if there was a car accident or something, you know. Yeah. <laughs> be a little something soft in between. It's a post-rock and roll career. He's he's selling those to, to families to put in their cars. Door to door, stone and salesman. <laughs> oh, and we should, uh, we, we kind of ju- jumped right into the action, but uh, we should back up a little bit. This is... Uh, this is our first new character we've we've had introduced in a while. I guess the first oh. since uh, since Artie Fufkin. So we've got our our set from designer Palmer Records. Artie Fufkin from Palmer yes. Records. Yes, yes. Artie Artie Fufkin. Fufkin. You know him. You know Artie Fufkin. From Palmer <laughs> Records. Um, so here our new our new character is this um, yeah this this set designer or uh, prop maker uh, P- uh, Polly Deutsch is her name, and she's played by Angelica Houston who uh, apparently is a bit of an actress, has has done a few things other than yeah. uh, this is Stonehenge. And according to IMDb... This is Stonehenge, that sounds... <laughs> I'm sorry, this is Spinal Tap, <laughs> of course. Her role in the film is sort of this is Stonehenge. Yes, Here, exactly. Her role she ordered. Um, but, but she's, uh, according to IMDb, she's uh, an Academy Award winner, uh, won Best Supporting Actress for Pritzi's Honor. Uh so apparently that that role was of the correct size and was awarded <laughs> accordingly. But yeah, so here she is presenting our uh, and just we've said it before, but I'll say it again. This looks great. It looks like stone. It, it's got great texture and color. Um, 
that they got this from that napkin that uh, that Nigel quickly drew up, I think, speaks to a certain level of uh, of skill. Uh, once again, we see that for for all the comedy and the absurdity and what goes wrong uh, through this documentary and through kind of the the trials and tribulations of this band, there are a few things that go right. I think this is a, a well made piece, even if not to uh, a realistic scale for the actual Stonehenge. Now, can I tell you both? This might this might be a real OMG bomb. Uh, I have seen this prop in person. Oh wow! Oh, OMG! Yeah, yeah OMG! Exactly. Uh, my wife is a, a prop stylist here in Los Angeles, uh, and she uh, oftentimes I get recruited to go pick up something at a prop house. So there's a prop house in LA called History for Hire, and they have uh, they're kind of known, I guess, as having a lot of musical instruments. Like they have the Beatles Shea Stadium concert instruments. I don't think they belonged to the Beatles necessarily, but it's the same exact make and model and year of the guitars and the bass and the drums. And they've got it. So it's like you know, the, the very iconic black Rickenbacker guitar and Ringo's drums, and they have it all up on a platform. So you, you could recreate the Beatles at Shea Stadium with these instruments. They're exactly the same models and years. I don't I don't think they were owned by the Beatles, but I do you look at it and you go, yeah, that's that's the gear they used on that day. And so I I think I was picking up a guitar or something for a photo shoot and she just, you know, I'm a guitar guy, so she just went, you know, go pick pick something out that's classic and pick something out. So there's just this wall of vintage instruments and uh, I'm standing there and I look and I just I'm standing two inches from it i mean it's just there <laughs> it's not i don't think you can rent it but they had a bunch of they just have they just have movie props this is a huge warehouse full of props and i i always think of it as like oh they have you know all these like reel-to-reel machines and just antiquated music equipment sure. they also have but they also have like camping gear and canoes this is whatever you might need for a film they try to have it all but yeah, there it is. It's just, and it's really, it really is that small. It's just like this tiny little thing, but it blew my mind. I'm looking right at this thing, and it looks great. And there's the uh, the best part for me anyway is that the little uh, the monofilament wire that they use to drop it down and in, in, oh, yeah. in a future minute is still attached. So there's still That's like awesome. this little thin piece. But so that thing did get built, and it's still it's still around. You know, I always that that's always a curiosity to me in any movie where you just go like, where's Indiana Jones's whip or where, you know, those iconic pieces of of movie history like they do. Studios have them, obviously, but it's funny to me that like they just live on. And it's really cool that you could just you could if you go rent props from history for hire, you can go look at the Stonehenge monument. That is so fun. Yeah. And like, you know, you so was it just kind of. <laughs> just sitting in, there unceremoniously it's, it's on like, display like it... if you think of okay. this prop house as a grocery store uh mm-hmm. and the aisles are full of props stonehenge is on like an end cap okay and gotcha. where you know it might be like oh coca-cola three six packs for 9.99 like you know how they'll do a big display there's like a spinal tap display uh-huh. with the stonehenge and a couple other things from the movie but nothing as iconic as the little tiny stonehenge yeah. if i i would be tempted to just run up and give it a hug. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, that's how I felt. <laughs> well, cool. Yeah, that is great. That's a, that is awesome. I'd love to have just 
I could just picture being there and how fun that would be. And also, too, when I did see it, it was kind of like I ran into an old friend at an unexpected (laughs) place. Like I turned and went like, hey, it's you. Because I think, you know, there's so many quotable lines in this movie. And like, I I feel like I'm coming into the Spinal Tap minute a couple minutes early because I think my favorite scene in the movie is them arguing about if they're going to do Stonehenge again. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. and uh, I think it's David that explodes, right? He just no, we're not going to do we're Stonehenge. We're not going to fucking do Stonehenge. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's my that's probably my favorite moment in the movie after multiple viewings. So it's like I just have mm-hmm. such a love for this little this little guy. This yeah. Little Stonehenge guy. Yeah, as soon as you said old friend, I just like mentally popped a couple of little googly eyes on him, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, wouldn't you love just go out drinking, just take take little Stonehenge out for for a night on the town, and <laughs> prop him up on the bar next to you, and, you know, one be, for me and one for my friend Stony here. <laughs> it'd be quite the conversation starter, I'm sure. Mm. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. Because if people knew it, they'd be like, "That's the thing from Spinal Tap." And if they didn't know it, they'd be like, "Why do you have a tiny Stonehenge with you?" Weirdo. <laughs> this, you know, this this should be. In Times Square, for, for folks that don't know, in, in Times Square in New York City, they have people, and I think uh, like L.A. And, and other big cities have this as well, where there's people dressed up as like Mickey Mouse or SpongeBob oh. or Elmo, and you can go up and take your picture with them, and uh, they, they want a tip. I'd like to see a little Stonehenge. I would want my picture taken if there was like a little you know knockoff Stonehenge in Times Square or like L.A. or the Walk of Fame or something like that. Um, I, I bet a lot of people would want their picture taken. I smell my retirement hands. career. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. And I will mention there's a bit of uh, of a gaff in this minute. And, and I'm not talking about the the 18 inch high Stonehenge. Mm. Um, so so when Ian is is uh, yelling at at Polly, he says the triptychs are 20 feet high. And what this actually, this is not a triptych. This is a trilithon. Mm. So a, a trilithon is is a type of stone monument or structure where you've got two supporting stones and then the third one across the top. So I believe he means trilithon. I'm not quite sure what a what a triptych is, but uh, you know, it's it's a documentary. It's real life. People. Uh, you know, I think a tri- isn't a triptych where like if you buy art and there's three pieces, but they all like a uh, three paintings and they all complement each other. I think that's called a triptych. You got it. I just looked it up. Hey, it's a work of art, usually a panel painting that is divided into three sections or three carved panels that are hinged together and can be folded shut or displayed open. Hey, we we. Well, I knew something, and <laughs> I'm glad I knew it. <laughs> I was going to say we learned something, but I already knew that. <laughs> yeah, we learned something. You, you already knew it. That, and now that's only if we're, if Wikipedia is indeed correct. Right, right. <laughs> and um, Heidi didn't just go and create that entry. Yeah, right I before. just typed that in real fast. <laughs> I know this is going to come up, so let me get up early, build a website. Yeah, so I buy that. So yeah, so Ian misspeaks a little bit. Sure, which we all do occasionally. Yeah, and he's he's emotional. Uh, he's he's upset at this point. Yeah. Now, I 
I've only uh, I haven't seen the movie in its entirety in quite in in a while, but I have just watched these first two minutes. And uh, again, when you watch these movies just a minute at a time, you get to see some stuff that maybe you didn't notice before. And the one thing I saw, I'm I'm obsessed with it, is Ian's briefcase. Yes, that's on yes. the sofa next to him. And the one thing I can clearly identify is a Rubik's cube. Yes, I noticed that too. That Do you see the exciting. Rubik's cube ever again in the film? Good question. I guess we'll have to wait. You haven't seen it this. You, you haven't seen it thus far. I'm watching minute by minute. I, I'm just seeing it now for the first time. Yeah. Yeah, so I noticed the briefcase. I was trying to figure out. I was looking at the top, and it's kind of got the pockets the that are. I was trying to figure out what's yeah what he's got stuffed in the top, but yeah oh I I didn't notice that before yeah he's got a little cube unsolved unsolved yeah. Rubik's cube I feel and, like his, he and his cricket bat is is lying on the on the couch as well yeah I love that he travels with that stuff that's fantastic <laughs> I well so I need to ask you too if you've seen any extended cuts of this film because when I went to college at the University of Wisconsin in Madison and there was a video store dating me. Uh, several decades here but there was a video store that had uh, tons of stuff i mean it was just an um, amazing collection of stuff and they had i feel like a three or four hour cut of this movie they mm -hmm. had some early cut that had been passed around that's that's the kind of video store that this was that you right kind of, you know back back before you could just share video files freely on the internet you know people would get these tapes and sort of hoard them because they were these rarities and you'd have to go to conventions and stuff to get them but there right. and so like I, I the thing that i remember from watching that because i it was always checked out i think my roommates and i got it once and we watched it and we had to return it in 12 hours or something crazy i feel like they were like <laughs> you have to bring this back immediately when you're done watching it or we're gonna charge you full price for the we're gonna charge you a hundred thousand dollars or whatever anyway right i'm probably exaggerating anyway I do remember the sort of like the cold sores that you see in the movie. There's like a mm -hmm. whole thing about, and I know that's in deleted scenes in some of the collections, but like I wondered about the Rubik's Cube if I was, if that's like, it seems like there's a lot of air that got sucked out of this in the final edit of just stuff that they probably had on film of just like, oh, I love a Rubik's Cube. It, it, <laughs> you know what I mean? I could see that character yeah. being like, this is like, you know, this is like managing a band. There's when you move one thing, another thing happens. I could see him doing some sort of monologue about it or why he needs it, and then it's just never mentioned again. And then because of how they edit it, edited the film, it's it's just like a thing. It's an artifact of an earlier cut. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, totally. yeah. So yeah, I've seen that. There, there's yeah. It's about a four and a half hours of. Oh, so it is. Just it is that long. Yeah, it is that long. Your your memory is is correct in this point, and it. I don't remember there being any background on the Rubik's cube. Yeah, I, so, yeah, I, I don't think there's a scene of. I'm okay. giving that Rubik's cube a tremendous amount of credit for it being <laughs> some sort of major character, you know, <laughs> icon of Ian. I'm sure it's just like they had one laying around and threw it in his briefcase because they thought it was funny. You know what I mean? Like I'm, sh <laughs> I'm sure it's nothing, but I did sort of go like. Why the hell does he have a Rubik's cube in his briefcase? It doesn't yeah. make any sense to me. It, um, it does. It, well, yeah, it, it, it's it's noteworthy because it stands out. If it was, you know, a pack of smokes or a switchblade or a blackjack or you know something that might come in handy when you're when you're on the road or I was um, looking for drugs. Else, yeah, I was drugs. definitely looking for well, drugs. No, there's there's no sex and drugs for Ian. 
Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, it does you know, stand thought, out in this room too because this whole room is a cavalcade of browns and beiges. And oh yeah. So it does kind of pop. I know yeah, even those, even those what, curtains. <laughs> those curtains. But yeah, are even like, all. <laughs> yeah, the curtains, the couch, even the the clothes that that Ian and Polly are wearing. Everything's very yeah. monotone. So really, the Rubik's Cube is pretty much the only color we, we get in this scene. And the, the stone, colored stone hinge. Yeah, and I was just going to mention regarding Angelica Houston among, you know, obviously she's a very well-known actress. But that she, one of her credits is Captain EO and that the Doug Benson episode of um, I Was There Too has a really great captain eo story so if you haven't been listening to i was there too (laughs) uh the matt gorley's podcast that one is really really that episode is really amazing (laughs) i mean i I love the show anyway but that particular episode is so great i think too my wife her first job ever was at disneyland and she's it's a very precious thing to her she's just got so many friends from that era and i didn't grow up in southern california so disneyland is just this sort of it's it's a myth in a way like we were never gonna go we had no reason to be in southern california so it was only as an adult that i experienced disneyland so captain eo was long gone and my wife obsessed about it she loved it she and so she could probably do the whole thing from memory (laughs) so uh hearing maybe she can do captain eo minute (laughs) she might end up doing that but uh the thing that made me laugh so hard is about the doug benson thing is just how it's this multi-million dollar production that they just ran out of time and then Doug just gets a job out of it, essentially. Like it's a yeah. great episode. <laughs> it's just so funny to hear like the backstory of some of these like projects and how like, yeah, we just we had to do we had to make do. Like I don't wanna it's listen to the episode. It's fantastic. It's a really funny Definitely. Story. And yeah. Doug's such a great storyteller. And he has so many different little weird experiences that he's had, like working for Michael Jackson in another capacity. And yeah, that that's a really entertaining episode. Oh, so good. <laughs> uh, I think another thing that I want to bring up in this minute that I had never thought about before. So when you get to the concert, mm-hmm. David, Nigel, and Derek are all wearing cloaks. Mm-hmm. And I don't think you get a great look at the drummer. But Viv Savage is wearing a Viking helmet. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Yeah. Oh yeah. Singing a song about awesome. Singing a song about druids. Mm -hmm. Wearing a Viking helmet. It doesn't. And also, I think like a serape. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Viv looks insane. I just was like, wait, why is it they don't all wear the cloaks? (laughs) (laughs) They should all be wearing the cloaks. Well, I think he is wearing a cloak still. Is he? Yeah, I think because you know they do like the reveal with the cloaks. You know, they're all wearing. Well, you can't see if Mick is wearing it, but like I'm looking at fifty four second fifty four on the minute, mm-hmm. and I can see the helmet, and I can see the serape <laughs> and like a silky blouse, but it looks like he's wearing. A quilt, uh, the quilt, the cape, <laughs> uh, the cape. Yeah, the big. Oh, the like probably just, whips it off. But I, I wonder too yeah, he, if, like, if if he's wearing the like he's just like oh, I wear a Viking helmet. 
I don't care what yeah. song we're doing. This is what I wear. <laughs> well, it's still got kind of an ancient, you know, people of the ancient worlds sort of feel to it. So somehow it fits in for him. Yeah, so there's like a good close-up of, of Viv around like second 49. And, and towards the end of next minute, we get a good look um, of just Viv's whole outfit. Uh, yeah, I was doing some research to see if I could find some connection between Vikings and Stonehenge or Druids. Now, the Vikings did have stone monuments um, and, and burial stones and that sort of thing. But nothing like Stonehenge. There's, there's, yeah, there's really no connection. But this is kind of par for the course. This is what we're, we see for most of these performances, that there isn't – there is not an overabundance of coordination between right. the members of the band. I think the fact that our three front men, uh, you know, D- David, Derek, and Nigel are all wearing black coats with hoods, some of the, the, the most coordinated outfitting we've seen – um, usually sure. they look like they usually the band looks like they they're all showing up for five different concerts. <laughs> so uh, yeah, <laughs> well, and then I don't know if we we probably our our best look is probably going to come up in the next minute. But Derek's just wearing like a fur rug that he's thrown over like a shawl. He's just wearing like uh, you it's know I don't rabbit, know how yeah. rabbit fur. Yeah, <laughs> I yeah. don't know how primitive the, the druids were. But <laughs> But yeah, Derek's like a dressed like a caveman, almost. <laughs> uh, you know, under his cloak, well, they're his, casting uh... a wide historical net. Yes, yes, <laughs> yeah. Well, it's, it's more part of their creative expression. <laughs> yeah, it's it's more about the artistry than uh, you know than than strict historical accuracy. This is not. Right. Hopefully, no one's basing their you know their term paper <laughs> on this song or or the band's not. outfits. <laughs> I really hope not. Yeah, because I think I'm not sure, but like as I'm looking here, at least like David David's pants are really different too, almost like genie pants or something. Like yeah, blousey on the top and tight around the ankles or something. He's not wearing yeah, he's not wearing spandex for uh, for maybe the first time. Hmm. And and I think there's a bit of foreshadowing. Uh, we get a quick glimpse of Ian and Janine off to the the side of the stage. And Ian looks particularly smug in this shot. And I wonder what's coming up because we know, you know, we, we've just seen his reaction to the, the Stonehenge prop that was supplied. There's no way they can be using that prop. I mean, it's it was just, you know, it's not appropriate for for use on the stage. So I wonder what, you know, what's coming up and, you know, why does Ian look so, uh, so pleased with himself off on the side there? Oh, right here at like minute 56 seconds. Yeah. Like 56. There's a, yeah, just a quick shot. And I, I I love that shot because I feel like both Ian and Janine, it's Janine, right? I'm not crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's Janine. They both are these sort of, misguided they just they believe so much in the band Mm -hmm. and i you know like they're they're clearly wrong (laughs) (laughs) like i don't know i just their their faces are just like they're changing the world out there look at them right right yeah and um ian looks like he just got off of uh soccer practice for gryffindor too (laughs) (laughs) 
And this best. again, it's like I'm I'm just a little too early here. I what, another one of my favorite parts of this movie is the, is Nigel's spoken introduction to this song. Mm-hmm. No one knows who they were or what they were doing. <laughs> the Druids. <laughs> yeah, that was yeah. I was wondered. We get a little bit of the uh, is his little introduction. So yeah, hundreds of How years before say- the dawn of history. Before the dawn of history. But he just said those druids and then says nobody nobody knows who they were. Well, we're well they were the druids. You just said druids. You right. know who they were. Well, and how could it be a hundred hundreds of years before the dawn of history? That doesn't matter. Right. <laughs> how do you know how well, long it was? Yeah. <laughs> Although that's that's possible. Sure. I was actually I was listening to a podcast recently. You are not so smart. And they were talking about there's there's a theory of cognition that basically says you can't you don't have consciousness until you've developed the idea of consciousness. So that like early humans basically didn't have consciousness as we think of it because they weren't thinking about consciousness. And sort of an extension of that is you don't have history until you develop the concept of history. You know, you, you have a past, things you still have a flow of time and things happen, but it just isn't so if, if well if yeah, if people don't think of you know, aren't thinking of future and past and aren't thinking of history, do they have a history? So it is so if if you know may if, if Nigel is subscribing to that theory that it is Which possible that these people is. existed. We know he, he has, is. We know he's a very. He has to. Be. <laughs> he has to be. So it is possible that there were people that existed before the dawn of history, and those people so, were the uh, druids. Yeah, I mean, we don't know who they were or what they were doing, but they were the druids. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of excellent songwriting, <laughs> so with your super ego, yes. compadres, yeah, you all also have a. A musical, a music group that is really cool offshoot of that. How are you a part of the writing process of that too? Uh, I assume you're talking about the Journeymen, our sort yep. of outlaw country thing we did. We made a CD because I think we all, at least Matt Gorley and Jeremy Carter and I, and I guess Paul too, but Paul was not really, Paul F. Tompkins was not really part of writing this. Jeremy and, and Matt wrote. 10 songs in the outlaw country vein, sort of just a, <laughs> a nod to music <laughs> we love, but also the sort of, I mean, honestly, in the spirit of Spinal Tap, just the, the, the sort of ridiculousness of it, but also a love of it at the same time. So we made yeah. a record yeah. and uh, yeah, we don't really play. I mean, it took us so long to make the record because I think uh, now with technology and being able to record and tweak and, re-record and you know throw it out and do it all over again it just took a really long time to get that record made but you know it's a i'm really proud of it i think it's a really funny ode to outlaw country yeah yeah it's it's great i i mean i listened to it and and you i've listened to super ego more recently when i was when my husband turned me on to the podcast but then there was also all this back catalog of like years cuz you guys have been, have been doing that project on again off again for a long time yeah we started there's in, little touches of that in older 
I mean, of, of yeah. you guys writing and singing music, playing music and stuff well, like I think, that. I think, kind of precursors. I think, yeah, the uh, the nexus of it all is is Matt doing this character, Mutt Taylor, and then Jeremy doing essentially Hank Williams Jr., <laughs> this character called <laughs> Shunt, Shunt McGuppin. But, you know, it seems like with Waylon and Willie Nelson and Merle Haggard and some of those 70s outlaw country guys, we just, I think, I, I can't speak for them, but I always imagine them just like hanging out at a campground. Like they're just constantly around each other. It feels like a brotherhood and that they're all pals. And that may or may not be true, but I think we... Over the years, we sort of enjoyed the idea of these guys sort of having a little friendly rivalry and then maybe one's up and the other one's down and they work together and they, it's the, the drama of making music together is sort of all throughout the full the full thing of Super Ego starting back in 2006 like that. Wow. You know, that you hear from both characters throughout the seasons. It was never intentional. It wasn't meant to be sort of serialized or anything, but uh, it's just funny to like have these characters kind of show up at different points in their lives. And yeah. Yeah. And it's really spinal tappy to me too, because it is those behind the scenes being in the, you know, trying to record a song and getting irritated or going, what the hell is this? You know, being in the recording booth and (laughs) trying to figure out what the singer's doing or give them some sort of, you know, production direction or something. It's really. Yeah. I, I think we have a lot of, different influences throughout the years you know i think we but that's i feel like spinal tap or at least the sort of ethos of of how christopher guest and that crew works where they will just riff and riff and riff and keep the best stuff i mean like that i think is the core of super ego i know it's the core of super ego we just we would improvise for 20 or 30 minutes and then you get five minutes of audio out of it because you can cut out the stuff that doesn't work and you can kind of cherry pick the funny moments and that's from what I understand, that's how Spinal Tap came to be. So whether we... Re- I mean, I fully recognize it as a major comedic influence for me because I think they do such a good job of playing it all straight. They play these ridiculous moments very straight. I mean, like the last minute where Nigel's doing this guitar solo, like he... there's At no point is there ever a wink. You know, there's... At no point is, is Christopher Guest giving you like, I know it's ridiculous, but stick with me here. He's like, no, I'm the greatest guitar player of all time. And he plays it right down the middle. And there's just, it, there's just something about the way that it's made, like how the sausage is made, it, the comedy sausage, I guess. Yes. And, and the one that he has in his pants too. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, like, I just feel like Spinal Tap is so well crafted and the way that they went about it. I mean, even in this scene where, you know, the Angelica Houston and, and Ian are talking over each other like that doesn't typically happen in a in a film. Like, you can just tell it's improvised, but they loved that it's this moment of conflict. I I don't know. I could go on for hours. Yep. Yeah, and uh, we would love to, but do let's do <laughs> well. One thing that we before we wrap up this minute, but do you have any um, Spinal Tap moments that you would like to share from your own life? Well, I have I have one that I witnessed and one that I was a part of. Cool. So I saw, real quick, I saw Iron Maiden at the Universal Amphitheater, rest in peace. (laughs) And uh, it's the loudest show I've ever seen in my life. And Bruce Dickinson was running around, waving a Union Jack, and the guitar players were all up in a row, sort of coordinated and playing their solos. Well, Bruce Dickinson tried to jump from one riser to another, and he missed, and he fell into the drum kit. And and I, I actually looked this up. He broke three ribs. 
Oh no! So they, you know, it's like they are they're they are just flying high. They're they're noodling their little heads off, and mm-hmm. Bruce falls, and you hear the crash, and you sort of see him writhing. So while one guitar player is up playing a solo, like the guy playing rhythm would like go check on him, and then the solo would finish, and they would switch places. Just like they, they never stopped playing music. They just were like, are you okay, man? Like they were checking on him clearly. And then uh, he was clearly hurt and they did not stop. They just kept rocking. And then it came to the end and Bruce Dickinson got up holding his ribs. And I think they were playing run to the hills. And then they finished the song. And I remember him saying something like, thank you, Los Angeles. I'm off to <laughs> hospital. <laughs> <laughs> So that was fantastic. That was a fantastic, like real life spinal tap moment with a real band. Uh, And then my real life one is that I played in a bluegrass band for a long time. And we played at a bar in Victorville, California, the gateway to Las Vegas. It's kind of the last Mm -hmm. area of civilization before you hit the desert on the way to Vegas. And we straight up scored a bar fight. We were playing, we were just playing (laughs) music in this bar. And then really quickly and out of nowhere, a bar fight started and you know, my instinct was to stop and hide because I'm a total coward, but uh, they, the guy, one the bass player in our band was like, just keep going. So we just kept playing. Like we went around and around and around playing this song and our fiddle player was sort of like playing fiddle solos to the action of the bar fight. Like he looked at me and he's like, yeah. So, uh, and then they had that going with it, it kind of spilled outside and it was over and it was like, okay, on to the next song. Like it never happened. I'm not sure that that's a spinal (laughs) tap moment necessarily, but like as a musician, it's certainly one of the weirdest sort of like, I can't believe this is happening right now. Moments. Yeah. Yeah, You ever get the chance to play music during a bar fight? I highly recommend it. (laughs) (laughs) That is a good one. Cool. Well, anything else or shall we wrap up this whole minute? That's all I've got. Sean? I think that's enough. I'm ready to wrap it up. Sweet. Well, thanks, everybody, for joining us for episode 55 of Spinal Tap Minute. You can find us at SpinalTapMinute.com and hang out with us on Instagram and Twitter at Spinal Tap Minute. I'm the person that's that's uh, manning or womaning those accounts. So when you're interacting over there, that is me and... Uh, yeah, that's that's all I have to say at the end. Yeah, we've also got a little thing over on the Facebook that we like to call the Spinal Tap Minute Groupies Lounge. So you can kind of hang out there and join the conversation and, and chat with other listeners as well as your intrepid hosts and, and talk about all things Spinal Tap. And so, Matt, the, the wonderful you super- You just called e- Mark. Matt. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> I bet ha- that's never happened before. That <laughs> happens all the time. <laughs> we can edit this. We'll clean that up in, in post. So. <laughs> okay. Make great. me sound like a not idiot. <laughs> so, Mark. Uh, if, <laughs> yeah. If folks want to hear more from you or, or check out the stuff that you're doing, is there uh, links or addresses or, or whatever we can we can point our audience to? Well, you've got the Super Ego Podcast, which is available on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts. We also have a website, gosuperego.com. You can find me, my other shows, Pistol Shrimps Radio, where Matt Gorley and I call basketball games, whether we should or not. And then I'm on Twitter and Instagram, <laughs> at Mark McConville. And that's, I think, it. All Sweet. right. 
That sounds great. That's awesome. All right. Well, thank you very much, Mark, for joining us for uh, for these couple minutes. Thank you out there, the listeners out in podcast land. Thank you for listening. Uh, we'll give you the weekend off to uh, rest up and recover, and then we'll come back Monday and do it all over again. But until next time, and so say all of us, tap, tap into, into America. America. <laughs>